0: Hello and welcome to the Beauty Lowdown. My name is Paul Graves and I'm the managing editor for DevOps Municipals. Joining me today is my colleague and assistant editor, Mary Ellen Ty. So Mary Ellen, looks like Seth and Greg have decided to do something else today, so it's just you and I on this podcast.
1: I am pretty excited. It's gonna be fun.
0: I don't know, that didn't I don't you didn't sound that excited just now.
1: Sorry, <laughs> I'll do more vocal training. Yeah, so obviously
0: the topic in the market of really around the country are the hurricanes particularly hurricane irma and the damage that it did across the state of florida as well as in the caribbean and specifically for us in the u.s virgin islands but why don't you tell us a little bit more about in florida and what's going on there mary ellen
1: thanks paul there are two insurers in florida the florida citizens property insurance And then the Florida Hurricane Catastrophe Fund, both of them sort of focus, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like the first one focuses on wind with the citizens' property insurance and then the hurricane one is more focused on hurricanes. Both of them still don't cover flooding as much, which is what most of the damage from Irma was, so it looks like neither of them will need to issue bonds to cover any potential costs from this hurricane.
0: Okay, yeah, because those are two bonds that people are familiar with in the municipal market. Obviously, there's been some changes in the policy for citizens over the years, because there hasn't been that many hurricanes, I guess, since, what, 2005?
1: Neither of them have had to pay out in quite a while, which is part of why they're not going to need to issue now, because they've been stockpiling those funds that in other years haven't been needed.
0: And what's the situation down in the Virgin Islands, and specifically the U.S. Virgin Islands?
1: Yeah, uh, that's been an interesting one to watch, Paul. There was about $223 million of rum tax rebates last week that were basically accelerated or expedited by the U.S. Interior Secretary. The USVI uses rum tax rebates to mostly pay bonds that are backed by these rebates, and then also some of them go to provide funds to the rum producers. The $223 million looks like a lot. Only about 8% of that is not already allocated to either payments to, like I said, the bondholders or payments to the producers. Um, So that's about $18 million that they're going to have to work with. The governor down there is asking the rum producers to give up their $30 million subsidy So that would give them some more money, but it's it's nowhere near the 223 million that the initial press releases made it look like.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I'm sure that it wasn't malicious, uh, but it just when you see or when you hear language about the government advancing, you know, any municipality money that causes a bit of a red flag in a sense because that's not like it's additional aid. It's money that clearly was going to go to something else that they're now going to redirect. And in this case, they're not even really redirecting. All they're redirecting is the excess, right? And so I guess bondholders are going to be happy in in knowing that their next debt service payment will be there. Uh, As far as the relief efforts, uh, it seems like the damage has been catastrophic, particularly on St. John, as opposed to uh, St. Thomas and St. Croix, where they have some of these visuals that show literally, like, all the trees have no leaves. And on the surface, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but the, part of the, the whole allure of going down to the islands is the, the scenery, uh, the lush, green, tropical nature of everything, and that's gone. So uh, from a tourism standpoint, it's just, I mean, obviously there was New Orleans. and They got hit pretty bad and recovered. But, I mean, they're an island, so it's probably going to take a little bit longer for this recovery to happen. Um, So that's going to be interesting to see how they recover. They were already struggling financially before this. And on top of that, they've decided to withdraw from the ratings process, I guess in one sense, that's good timing. Uh, maybe, right? <laughs> because they probably wouldn't have liked the ratings that they got moving forward. But bringing this all back to the muni market, it's, it's they're going to have a really tough time accessing the market. If they can't access the market, it's going to be at a really punitive kind of price.
1: I mean, it does sound like there's some additional federal aid coming. One of our colleagues, Severa, got in touch with the um, Department of Interior, and they said that this payment isn't part of the release pack- relief package, which implies maybe there is a relief package coming that would be more substantial. But we'll see.
0: All right. Yeah, I would assume there is one, but the way this was presented when it first came up, oh, they're advancing this money for relief. And no, not quite, because most of it is not going towards relief. So it was just something good for people to be aware of that, They still need uh, a lot more money, actually, but this money that's been publicized isn't really, most of it isn't really for the relief efforts. But there's also some news with Hurricane Harvey in terms of with the city of Houston.
1: Yeah, the mayor expects um, debris removal costs to be more than $200 so he's asked for a temporary uh, property tax increase, temporary lasting a year. Uh, It would boost the rate to 63.87 cents for $100 from 58.64 cents, it's expected to net 113 million. So it would cover about half of the current estimation for debris cleanup alone, not to mention any buildings or cars or something like that, that the city would need to repair. I mean, that might be interesting to our listeners because we've been following Houston from a pension perspective do you remember Paul when they're having um, the potential vote I think it's this November to increase property taxes to help fund their pensions
0: November 1.8 billion and then add on this historic damage from the hurricane that's gonna be interesting to see what happens come November because uh, you just wonder whether or not people are going to be in the mood to even think about an issue as substantial as this one, uh, given all of the recovery efforts that are going to be taking place between now and November, but I guess they do have some time to kind of get back on track with that and start whatever advertising efforts that they're going to need, but that's something that we'll also be watching very closely. Let's go move on to some developments with some of the states, in particular states that still trying to put together a
1: budget yeah there are three that we're still talking about in that category pennsylvania wisconsin and connecticut on wednesday night the pennsylvania house of representatives passed a revenue package we've been talking about pennsylvania because they approved a spending package without a revenue package which to me is still comical uh every week i still think it's funny so our wednesday night suggestion was that the House of Representatives wanted to fill a $2.2 billion deficit with tobacco settlement bonds and reserves from the park and mass transit and environmental projects funds. The governor has called it irresponsible, and the Senate has said that they're not likely to pass it. But it's an incremental step, I guess, for Pennsylvania.
0: It's almost like you pass a budget, but you don't have revenue for the budget. So you haven't really passed the budget. <clears throat> Nope. A, a, a budget implicitly means that you, you've sort of spent within your means or you decided on, this is how much we're going to spend for the year. So this is an odd game. Well, no, I'm not going to say game. It's, it's just a, an odd way that the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is approaching this because they're going to stay in the news as long as they don't have a revenue plan to go with their budget. So... Okay. Uh, Any other states out there still dealing with budget issues?
1: Yeah. Wisconsin, uh, last week their joint finance committee approved a budget, but it still needs to be approved by the full legislature and the governor there. Meanwhile, Connecticut is expected to vote on a budget Friday. You were talking about this earlier, Paul. They still don't have an approved budget, but they're hoping to cross that line pretty soon.
0: Right, and for our listeners, we're recording late on Thursday, and this will probably go out to everybody on Friday morning. So, sometime during the day, they're supposed to be voting on this budget, and hopefully, they can get this resolved and move forward because they still got Hartford to deal with in terms of whatever is negotiated. Uh, that's probably going to play a big role in whether or not Hartford is continuing to seek uh, Chapter 9 filing or not. Um, so, But there was also Kentucky, right?
1: Yeah, that's a little bit more forward-looking, or I guess the rest of them are a little more backward-looking. Kentucky, we're talking about fiscal year 19, so um, starting next summer, and they it looks like they'll have a $1 billion revenue shortfall, and part of that will be driven by the general fund will need to increase its pension contributions by nearly 50% from $1.4 billion to just over $2 billion. That's huge. That's a big jump in pension funding costs for a general fund. One of the things that our reporter who was looking into this, Javier Balmaceda, found out was that there are some people that think Kentucky might be the first to really have pension benefit costs maybe decreasing or eliminating some of the COLAs, things like that. Uh, And the reason some people are speculating that is because of the relative annual income of pensioners versus the average annual income for Kentucky residents. It's just much, maybe, maybe much higher.
0: That will certainly be an interesting discussion, debate, slash fight within the state if they decide to pursue those plans. But Kentucky is one of those states that everyone should pay close attention to because their finances are weak, um, the economics of the state are challenging, and their pension liabilities are massive. That mix is very problematic. So... Um it's definitely one of those states to to keep a close eye on as we move forward, but no moody low down podcast would be complete without a bit of the discussion of Puerto Rico.
1: yeah, I can't believe we waited this long um, there were yes, t-
0: we switched the order this time.
1: There were two pretty big court filings in Puerto Rico this week uh the first is that they that the US trustee has asked to appoint a fee examiner in the Puerto Rico Title III. This is someone who would review compensation and expenses subject to court approval. There's been the Puerto Puerto Rico restructuring is being overseen by an oversight board that isn't paid, but all of their staff is. So there's already been some feathers ruffled about uh, compensation for the oversight board staff. So this would be another sort of layer there. The person that they selected was Brady Williamson of Godfrey and Kahn. So he o- he oversaw professional fees in the General Motors bankruptcy. And then the other big piece of Puerto Rico litigation was that the judge that's overseeing all of the cases, Laura Taylor Swain, is looking to resolve a question raised by San Juan, about the Government Development Bank's restructuring support agreement. So the Government Development Bank is the only Puerto Rico agency to have entered Title VI, which is a voluntary restructuring. All the other ones we usually talk about on this show are in Title Three, which is a more bankruptcy-like process. And what Swain is going to figure out is whether or not Act 109 of Puerto Rico, which was passed earlier this summer, that Called for you know this the solicitation of votes to be expedited on this GDB RSA Restructuring Support Agreement, whether or not it violated Promesa because it was not including the municipalities as claimants.
0: Wow, there's so many cases to keep track of with Puerto Rico on an ongoing basis. And this uh, situation with the GDB is interesting because they had this consensual agreement. And remember before the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, they had this consensual agreement that was being worked on and then that got kind of put to the side. So now there's this consensual agreement and now there's some pushback. And um, we'll be interested to see if they can get this through and whether or not this can serve as a template for maybe getting some of the other agencies uh, to go the consensual route because it just the only thing that seems to be happening for sure, and no offense to attorneys is that there's a lot of hours being built to file these cases, so you just wonder whether or not there's a better use of these funds for Puerto Rico's restructuring
1: yeah, it's certainly a good question because you're right, Paul there's four or five different title threes there's this, every attorney it seems like that. Is following municipal bonds has worked in or around Puerto Rico in the last three years?
0: Well, be something uh, else for us to, to keep abreast of. So, hope everyone enjoyed our latest edition of the Muni Lowdown, and we'll talk to you next week.